Hi there, friends. <laughs> yeah, that was probably the last thing you expected to start a community event off. So, so, wow. So let's get serious and welcome you on a very special episode of Desktops in the Cloud, now as part of the Microsoft Meets community event around Windows Virtual Desktop. So normally we invite people on our show as part of Microsoft Engineering or the Worldwide Virtual Desktop communities, but today we are doing it differently. We wanted to share our favorite moments from the people that we had on our episodes and share that with you right now. So one of the big questions that we've heard about desktops in the cloud is the why. Why did we start this podcast back in September? And uh, being very active in the WVD communities for a long time, we know how important it is to get information out to everybody about the service as fast as possible, but we wanted to do it in a very digital way and make things easy to understand. And so since people listen to podcasts and watch videos more than ever, that seemed like the best way to do it, and we could then make it a little entertaining while we're at it. So let's look a little bit back to last year, because yeah, we are nearing the end. We are in December, and to be frank, 2020 has not been a very good year. It has been a very bad year. COVID-19 happened very unexpected to all of us. And in March, we have all been sent back home to, yeah, work primarily remotely from home. Sometimes in some of those like self-made home offices, but uh, but still the technology, for example, that we sort of Microsoft represent, the flexibility of Microsoft Azure and as well Windows Virtual Desktop, customers had the opportunity to good, could go back up to speed very quickly uh, while continuing working from home and, of course, safely as well. And then so in our first episode, we talked with Camden Brad about the growth of the WVD service and how it spiked around COVID. So let's take a quick listen back to Cam. Uh, can you share some of the numbers or something that were like happening during the pandemic? Not to be very specific, but just like to give the viewers like a feeling. Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, we've seen just an immense amount of, of growth and usage in the service. and. Uh, you know, I, I, probably the, the the best number I can point to uh, is one that was uh, shared in our earnings call uh, in the month or so. I think it was the the in in May or April. It was after the first quarter, uh, where you know just in that period of time, uh, from March until uh, you know when we had that call, we just saw like three x growth in usage, uh, and in something like you know I think if I remember right, it was eight or twelve weeks. It was really fast, uh, and. Um, uh, you know that was pretty staggering. Uh, just you know to see uh, that just big influx, and it was really exciting because you know one of the things that happens is uh, you get a view into the diversity of customers who are using the service. Uh, and and what we would see is you know every day a new customer would on, would come online and they would just shoot to the top of number of seats uh, or monthly active users. Uh, and so, you know, we'd go from, you know, it'd be a mining company and then a healthcare company and a local government and some energy company and education, like whatever it was, uh, just kind of one leapfrogging the next. Uh, and so it was an exciting time, both from a growth perspective and just the diversity was really interesting. So 2020 has also been the year when I shifted from the global black belt role to Microsoft engineering myself, joining Scott Manchester's team, which has been leading Windows for Desktop from day one. So in my new role, I will bring Windows Virtual Desktop and Microsoft Endpoint Manager closer together while continue driving new community initiatives. 
So one of the key improvements in this area around Windows 32 Desktop is as well the further alignment with Microsoft Endpoint Manager and Microsoft Defender ATP, or also now new as a new name, Microsoft Defender for Endpoint, which we changed during Ignite. So let's take a closer look at the episode which we recorded with Peter Wickleven from the WVD engineering team about this. So one of the things I am probably Dean as well here a lot from customers is that they want to have a more like cloud-centric experience with Azure AD and HybridJoin and as well Intune. Uh, so are there some announcements as well around Microsoft Fanpoint Manager and Intune integration around WVD? Yeah, absolutely. So we've been working closely with the Intune product group and our goal is to make sure that you have uh, the same experience as you would have on a physical endpoint, as well on a virtual machine as part of WVD. And I can show you a little on what we announced, um, and it's important to differentiate two different things. So one is what we announced at Ignite is that starting this week, uh, you can manage VMs that run Windows and Enterprise on WVD with Microsoft Endpoint Manager. So that's the thing we announced. And I, let me quickly show you what that looks like. Um, so here I'm, I'm logged on to the Microsoft Endpoint Manager Admin Center. And what I can do is I can go to my devices and this tenant has a bunch of them. So you can see that we have close to 2,600 devices. And I know um, by playing around with this earlier, if I go to the last page, which is 104, and what you can see over here is a couple of devices that start with WVD. So you can see these are WVD dedicated uh, or personal. And so these are not physical devices enrolled into Intune, but these are VMs as part of WVD. So this is a compliance policy that you might recognize and you might be thinking, well, this is exactly what I do for my physical endpoints. And that's exactly what we're trying to achieve, just the same set of experiences. Now, another investment, and this is the thing that we announced at Ignite, is support for Microsoft Defender ATP. And this is a critical one. Specifically for a multi-session, it's interesting because if you go back to the times where we had to use Windows Server-based multi-session, um, getting that additional security protection, um, it typically wasn't available. Like server is a static thing. It doesn't change for 10 years except for security updates, but no new security features that truly adapt to the world around us that is changing. So this is where Microsoft Defender ATP comes in. It's available uh, initially for Windows 10, and now it's also available for Windows 10 Enterprise Multi-Session. One of our more recent episodes, we talked with Dennis Gunderiff, and he shared with us how we can lower latency and find a shorter path to your session host. Let's take a look. Okay, so then can you explain for us then and maybe walk us through how RDP short path works in comparison to how uh, reverse connect works? Yes, so to understand the short path, you uh, better uh, to know how the reverse connect works. And uh, we recently uh, made a big update to our documentation uh, and we added a brand new networking section uh, to the Windows virtual desktop documentation. And uh, I don't want to go to, into the details because there is a lot of them, but you can always go to the documentation page to find uh, what, uh, uh, what is the connection flow for the reverse connect. Uh, but in short, reverse connect establishes the connection to the gateway from both uh, uh, session host and the client. And uh, right after the se uh, session host uh, uh, 
and clients are connected over the gateway and the RTP protocol is negotiated. Uh, we are bringing the short pass. Uh, and uh, if RDP short pass is enabled, session host would uh, uh, announce its own uh, its uh, own IP addresses, uh, the IP addresses that are assigned to, to, to this uh, VM. Uh, to the client, and client will try to establish a connection to one of those IP addresses. It can be a private IP address accessible over the express route or site-to-site -site VPN, or it can be even a public IP address if you like to uh, to, to access it uh, from home during these uh, uh, uncertain times. So as soon as uh, a client receives the IP addresses over the secure uh, reverse connect, uh, it tries to connect uh, directly, and uh, uh, again, we have a uh, Full description of this in the uh, documentation, including the diagram uh, that uh, I'm sharing right now with, with you. And as soon as it, it is uh, connected, uh, we switch all of the uh, graphics and the rest of the dynamic virtual channels uh, to the new transport. Uh, and uh, uh, then you can open the connection information dialog box and uh, find uh, that you are using UDP for your connectivity and you may find that your uh, network latency is reduced and you have more av available bandwidth uh, that is available for the session. So Windows for Desktop is a cloud service and therefore it's constantly being improved and updated. So therefore we had Pravitra from the WVD engineering team on episode number eight. See, tell us everything around all the latest and greatest improvements in the Azure portal. So let's take a look. So can you level set the audience a little bit and share some of the main improvements and maybe show something as well about that? Sure. All right. So we went uh, public in GA with the Azure portal a couple of months back. Since then, we have had a lot of uh, conversations with our community. You know, be it our field, be it the you know global black belts who are talking to customers on a daily basis, or the actual customers providing feedback through our internal communities as well as through tech community. And so, based on that, uh, some of the things that we have added, and we will continue to add a lot more features. But some of the things that we have added are, um, you know, now we you're able to have a you know consistent way of renaming your session desktop. So if you have a desktop app group, you're able to rename it and it will stay, right? Um, earlier, there was a pretty big disconnect between how PowerShell did the you know renaming of session desktop and how Portal did. But based on all the feedback, we went and updated the portal to reflect exactly how PowerShell works. And also, it's a little more intuitive for customers. The second thing that we did, which was actually a pretty big deal, was that um, customers were unable to change the uh, VM image once they deployed VMs as part of a host pool. Um, this was quite a big obstacle for customers because they have to do constant VM management. They have to do update. They have to update the image of the VMs. They might have to create new VMs with different prefixes, especially if the name of the prefix, um, name of the VM is, you know, uh, greater than, I think, 15 characters, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have made improvements so that customers can actually change the VM image, VM prefix, um, and VM location on every add VM workflow. And uh, this one just got released a couple of weeks ago, but it's pretty exciting because customers can do that. And you know, this was directly based on the customer feedback. All right, so if you go to the add VM um, workflow, um, of course you cannot change anything related to the host pool, but then when you come to the uh, virtual machine blade, you can see that now I can change the prefix, which is not available earlier. Second thing is I can change the um, 
image type anytime I want to, as well as the actual image. I can go and, you know, look at any other images that I have in my shared image gallery or, you know, use another gallery image. I can go and change anything I want to. Yeah, that's great stuff. I, I like to, to always see how the, the portal is constantly improving and how the PG is listening to everyone's feedback to just improve the experience. And speaking of which, one of the things that we've had in the past for configuring all of those host pool properties, the, the RDP properties, has been all through PowerShell. But recently, we've added that to the portal. Can you go through some of that for us? Oh, yes, definitely. So what we uh, did was we re-engineered it, redesigned it, and now we have a brand new blade, which has all the RDP properties that WVD supports. Um, so, you know, it's pretty easy for customers to go through. We have bucketed all the properties into different categories. And so it's easy for you to discover exactly what kind of property you want. And you don't have to go through any of the PowerShell or uh, command line based properties. But let's say that you still want to do that. We have provided a way if you go to advanced for you to actually set properties. So if you are more used to uh, you know, having command line properties, you can do that also, and this will get reflected in the back end. We also took a look at some pretty fun demos, and Microsoft MVP Freak Ferrison showed us how we can push the boundaries of Windows Virtual Desktop with our GPU-based VMs. And we even had some time to play a few games. Let's take a look. So I know you have more in store, right? So I do. Let's show us the good one. stuff. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. Let's now switch to a heavy application. And let's, uh, in this case, uh, use Flight Simulator uh, 2020, which was also recently uh, released. And uh, we're now going to open it up from within uh, Windows Virtual Desktop. So as the game uh, starts to load, uh, we'll be able to see and uh, fly around the world uh, from within our Windows Virtual Desktop uh, session. So the funny thing about this uh, game is that not only is it really a resource intensive in terms of uh, GPU and CPU and memory, uh, but also a lot of storage is needed to, to even be able to install this game. Uh, and I ran into that because, and you can actually see some of the graphics uh, in the introduction, but I ran into that because I was using a standard VM with an OS disk of 127 gigabytes, uh, which apparently isn't enough to store uh, the entire uh, uh, um, game uh, on that machine, so I had to expand the OS, OS disk before I was able was even able to uh, to install the game. So as the introduction now uh, finishes, uh, let's uh, go ahead and actually uh, start flying. So we did uh, progress this bar obviously because it takes like uh, at least 10 minutes to be able to load uh, this uh, this huge game. So we did speed that up a little bit for this demo. But right now you're looking at uh, the Schiphol Airport uh, in Amsterdam, and we are about to uh, to fly off. So it was interesting to see that uh, the game actually did work and was uh, leveraging a lot of the CPU. Uh, in this case, we're using the uh, NV24 uh, machine, which uh, contains uh, four dedicated uh, M60 uh, GPUs. We'll show you some of the telemetry in just a second. Uh, but let's first uh, take off. And I am not an experienced uh, flyer, so I will leave the flying to uh, my co-pilot in this case. So we're switching back to uh, the co-pilot to be able to, uh, to take us off this airport and uh, well, see something of the sky and the Netherlands uh, from above. So there we go. So I'm going to open uh, uh, two dialog boxes uh, here. Uh, actually going to close this one first and then open up uh, the GPU so that we can see that uh, in the bottom right there, we have uh, that four 
those four dedicated GPUs uh, available. We're not even using all of them, we're just using two in this uh, scenario. Uh, but it gives you a good indication that it's uh, it's uh, it's a heavy game in terms of uh, in terms of GPU. So we see some of the telemetry data in terms of uh, uh, frames per second and the bandwidth we are using. And this was one of my earlier tests uh, that I did with the, the, the latest, I'm sorry, the first version of uh, the game. Uh, eventually, a new updates for the game uh, came out, and I also updated to uh, Windows 10 uh, 2004. I updated the NVIDIA uh, driver and also updated the game itself. Uh, and even the frame rates are starting to, uh, to ramp up to uh, 23 and even 27 uh, frames per second uh, at that time. So it's pretty cool to see, uh, uh, well, in this case, uh, Schiphol Airport and a part of Amsterdam uh, from our, within our Windows Virtual Desktop uh, session. So talking about play hard, I think this is, uh, well, this is coming close, right? So another game-changing feature of the Windows Virtual Desktop service has definitely been MSX AppAttach, a new way of doing application virtualization. So we had Stefan Georgiev on our show sharing all the latest updates and cool demos as well around MSX AppAttach on episode number six. So let's take a closer look at that. So let's uh, yeah, level set this, uh, this audience and share a little bit more about like what MSX AppAttach is, and as well, yeah, what you can achieve with it and how the architecture looks like. So can you share some information about that? Uh, absolutely, yeah. So um, generally with uh, MSX AppAttach, and this is something that I would like to make uh, um, clear and it will make sense as we're going through this, but uh, we are having MSX, which is a packaging format that is the, the, the next iteration of an uh, integration of all the previous packaging format Microsoft has released. And that one is uh, very powerful by itself, has a, a, a tons of exciting features. And we are taking advantage of those in WVD, in VDI environments, by being able to dynamically deliver those MSX packages via MSX AppAttach. And the architecture is very simple because you have your session host pool in WVD. Uh, you decide I'm going to deliver these applications as MSX. Uh, and then all you need to do is spin up a file share, put the package on the file share. We have uh, one extra step that we do there, which is preparing the MSX image. We'll talk about that in a second, but uh, once the image is on that network share, you go into the WVD portal, you configure and say like, this is the package that I want for this user group. You assign it, you go as that user and your applications are there from the end user perspective, from the end user experience, they will never know that something was delivered via MSX AppAttach or native install. The two are indistinguishable. So here is the MSX management UI in the portal. The very first step is to associate your package with the host pool. So uh, the package itself has to be already in Azure. It has to be on a file share that's accessible by the VM. So obviously part of the, the setup of the prep of the environment. And here I've selected one of my host pool uh, called stress test AppAttach, or MSX AppAttach stress test. Then here you can see that there's a new option, MSX packages. When you click on that, you will be able to see all the packages that are associated with your host pool. Or if you want, you can add a new uh, package here. And the first thing we're going to take from you is obviously the path to where that package is. It's an SMB uh, path. Then what is going to happen is we're going to parse that package and we'll be able to say, 
um, sorry, we're going to be able to pass that image and we're able to say, going back to that first slide I was showing with the, uh, the different scenarios, we'll, we'll pass that and we'll tell you, like, we see multiple packages, we see multiple applications, which one do you want? At that point, we have these um, um, two very uh, important functions here, the registration type and the state. So the active state, that could be a, 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 a nice conversation by itself. Uh, but that is how you do updates. So you upload the new packages in active, and you go and flip the old one uh, from active to inactive, and this one becomes active. And the on-demand versus walk-on blocking, that is uh, around the performance of the application. If you want fast start time, but you don't care about the walk-on time, you go for the walk-on blocking. And if you want the optimal uh, fast users login, then you go for on-demand. Once the, the package has been associated, uh, with your host pool, you need to publish it in an app group or a desktop uh, group. And that will happen obviously at the app group level. So here I have selected an application group and under applications, we get the new option for MSX packages. Now, if this was a remote desktop, we won't be seeing the file path and start menu. We'll be seeing just the MSX package. And then once we select the MSX package here, We'll be enumerating the list that we already have of packages associated. You'll be able to select one and then the rest gets populated for you. Could you share some of like examples in a virtual environment where you add like multiple applications at once uh, via like virtual virtual hard drives? Mm -hmm. Yep, sure. So um, I have my um, uh, virtual machine here. It's part of a WVD environment. So it already has the RD agent installed. Um, and I'm not going to use any PowerShell. I'm going to use only two commands to start and restart the service. So you can see I have the RD agent installed. And at the moment, if you go into the disk management, you will see uh, disk management is hiding from you, from me. So here we have disk management. And you can see we have just the profiles for my users. So I have my Walkout admin, my Walkout account, uh, so my Active Directory Admin and my profile because I'm also logged in. So nothing here, right? Five files, C drive, three profiles, temp storage. Now, so if I do a mount vol, what we're going to see here is a large amount of VHDs being staged. It's quite a lot of them, about 20. So if we go into the disk manager, of oh, disk management, calling it the wrong thing. So here, the disk management, it's not optimized to handle 20 VHDs, so you see it's like taking its sweet time. But here you can see that we have 20 plus applications being staged and ready for our users to use. Uh, to use. And let's find the biggest one here, just to see how long it took for that one. So we have five megabytes. That's not definitely the biggest one. So here is one that's a, a gigabyte, eight gigabytes, and there should be one that's 20, because this is my test chair. I can't find it right now, but uh, yeah, uh, this is, without any code, we were able to register those applications. And now if I go with my user inside, uh, when the user walks in, we'll be able to see what of those applications we need to register to that user, and he or she will be able to interact with the staged and registered applications. 
And finally, none of this would be possible without you. So thanks for supporting Desktops in the Cloud, which you can do by clicking our subscribe button and the like button on every one of our videos while you're sharing them with your friends and family this holiday season. And maybe you need to make a New Year's resolution and join us on one of our future episodes. Ping us on social media or our website, desktopsinthecloud.com.